the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. God wants to honor faithfulness, so he will entrust more to those who are more faithful. To those who aren't, he won't entrust those things to us. But we have to let our light shine. That's the example of our life. Set it up on a hill. Don't put it under a bushel. No. Put it up where everybody can see it. The Bible says, let our light so shine before men that they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We need to be putting Christ on display. He is the light of the world, so we are to put Christ on display in our lives. So that others can look at the light, illuminating the darkness, see something different, and be drawn to it. God has called you in His Word to be a light in the darkness. It's something that's so desperately needed in this world, but sadly, too many followers aren't sharing the good news. Don't take what Jesus has done for you on the cross and hide it away. Today, Pastor Gary will lovingly urge you to display all that Christ has worked in your life for the world to see. Your actions, your words, and your love for others can shine with the hope that only Jesus provides. Today, light up someone's life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Riches by themselves are not the problem. I had a man email me this week asking me a question about something, and, and I I lovingly pointed out to him in his email that he, that he made an error in an assumption because a lot of people think that money is the root of all evil. That is not what the Bible says. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's very different. Money makes a wonderful servant, but it makes a terrible master. And, and so in 1 Timothy 6.10, when it talks about the love of money is the root of all evil, it's not money itself. And then in the rest of that verse, 1 Timothy 6.10, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And some, eager for riches, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The warning that Jesus is making here is this. And in fact, when Mark uh, quotes this uh, parable in Mark 4.19, Mark uh, says the deceitfulness of wealth. So you have to always, you know, balance Scripture with Scripture. So it qualifies for us what Luke says just when he says the word riches. Mark says, well, it's the deceitfulness of riches. And the deceitfulness of riches is when we convince ourselves that if I just had more money, everything would be fine. That's the biggest lie. You know, a lot of people have won the lottery. Their lives are not fine. They've squandered it. They've allowed money to go to their head. They have mismanaged it. It has become a poison. So money itself is not the issue. It is the deceitfulness of wealth. It is the love of money. And Jesus says between that and worries and pleasures, he adds, you, you may be robbed of growth in the Lord. Now pleasures, it's kind of a broad term, 
But in 2 Timothy 3, 4, Paul, when he talks about some of the signs of the end times, one of the things he says is that men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There will be pleasure seekers. And even in our flesh, we will want to seek pleasure. And you and I, again, know people who don't have a solid relationship with the Lord because they're more concerned about wanting to make themselves happy and to seek fulfillment in pleasurable ways rather than denying self, taking up their cross daily and following Christ. And there is a call to dying to self. And if we are pleasure seekers, there's not much dying to self in that. We have to be God seekers and lovers of God, not pleasure seekers and lovers of pleasure. Jesus says between these things, Satan, who will try to rob us from even getting saved, times of testing, worries, riches, and pleasures have the tendency to also hinder us from growing in the Lord. And so what he ends up saying at the end of this parable basically is this, that the only one who hears the word, retains it, and perseveres will be a fruitful Christian. That's the one who's going to be a fruitful Christian because that's when he ends with talking about verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, retain it, and the Greek word there is kadaeko, uh, and it means also to possess or to keep, in other words, to obey it, to hear it, to do what it says, and by persevering, because times of testing will come, then Jesus says, then that person will produce a crop, that person will be fruitful. So we have to hear the word, do what it says, persevere through the tough times, and then we'll be fruitful in our relationship with him. But the fact is, there's a little bit of all three of those in us. There's going to be times that Satan is coming against us to rob us of the truth. There are going to be times of testing. There will be worries. There will be the love of money. At times there will be the love of pleasure. And all these kind of things are waging war against us to rob us of our growth in Christ. We've got to be careful. We've got to heed what he's saying here. Now move on with me to verse 16. He says this, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you know the song, right? Right? Let this little light of mine so shine. Okay, I'm not going to sing it for you. That's for another day. He, uh, but instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. In other words, God wants to honor faithfulness. So he will entrust more to those who are more faithful. To those who aren't, he won't entrust those things to us. But we have to let our light shine. That's the example of our life. Set it up on a hill. Don't put it under a bushel. No. Put it up where everybody can see it. The Bible says, let our light so shine before men that they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We need to be putting Christ on display. He is the light of the world, so we are to put Christ on display in our lives. So that others can look at the light, illuminating the darkness, see something different, and be drawn to it. Now, in the process, some bugs will be drawn to the light, too. You know that, right? But that's okay, because he loves all of us, all bugs. We've all been bugs and creepy, crawly things, and, so he's, and he loves us, and so he died for us. But, but, but we have to make our lives worthy of Christ's example, because we want to display him well. Amen? We want the light of the Lord to be displayed well in our lives. And so don't, don't hide it. Let it shine before men. Consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Now, verse 19. So now Jesus' mother and brothers came to him to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. 
Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, he's not, you know, he's not being unkind, but he's, what he's broadening is our understanding of, of family, isn't he? And you know the old saying, blood is thicker than water. Well, what he's basically saying is the spirit is thicker than blood. Because there is a family unity that unites people around the truth of the Lord Jesus in ways that will be closer than even blood family. Those of you who come from, you know, and I've referred to good versus bad families a couple uh, weekends ago, and it's all relative, right? Okay, it's all relative, because in some ways we're all a little off, we're all a little dysfunctional. But if you've come from a good family, you know, that's wonderful. But if you haven't come from such a good family, or maybe a family where there aren't any believers, you know better than anybody what it means to have the true family to be the body of Christ. Because you feel closer, you feel more loved, and you feel more loving, you, you feel... Uh, the sacrifice, you feel the service, you feel the camaraderie, you feel the fellowship in ways that you may not even feel with your own blood relatives. Now, he's not, he's not saying anything disparaging against his own blood relatives. He's just helping us to understand that the body of Christ and the family of God that is defined by a personal relationship with Jesus will be in some ways even stronger than blood relatives. He says, my brothers and, and mothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels, whenever Jesus says that, there's going to be a challenge ahead, all right? There's going to be a storm. There's going to be some demon-possessed dude. There's going to be something, and they're going to get both right here, okay? They're going to get the storm and the demon-possessed guy all together here. So, They got in a boat and set out. Verse 23, as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came came down on the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. So that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. See, even his disciples were growing in their faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they're like, who who is this guy who can even command the storm like this? Now, you know in reality why this whole scene was happening and why it is that, that Jesus calmed the storm? Because in effect, he's giving them opportunity to connect the dots so that they would know that he's God. Why do I say that? You can just maybe write in the margin of your Bible, Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9, it says this, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you, you are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up, you still them. Perhaps he was allowing them an opportunity to realize, oh, now they didn't have chapter and verse like we have it delineated for us, but you know, just go with me. Oh, Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. Oh, the Lord God Almighty is the one who calms the storm, who stills the waves. Oh, Jesus, you're God. This is an opportunity for them to see his divinity here. But, you know, I love this story for many reasons. And again, we've talked about this in the other gospels, so I won't belabor it. But uh, just the idea that Jesus is asleep here. It's this picture of, you know, he's never alarmed. You know, Jesus is never, you know, 
uh, worried. He's never anxious. You know, he's never, you know, sitting there, you know, rubbing, you know, the rosary. He's, he's just, uh, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? He is just at peace and he is at, and he's asleep. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus is asleep. Now he, he's not detached, but, he, but he's asleep. He's at rest. And it's good to know that when I'm afraid or when I'm worried or when I'm stirred up about my storm, and Jesus is not detached, but he's at peace. He's at rest. Everything is going to be okay. Now, he calms the storm just like that. These guys are now just, they're soaking wet. I got a picture of this, you know, the storm and the wind and the waves, and, you know, they're soaking wet. And all of a sudden, it goes from, you know, this turbulent thing. It was just supposed to be a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour, and, and all of a sudden... And so, and, but there's no island in this story. And so all of a sudden then, you know, the storm is done and they're standing there just dripping wet. They're dripping wet. And it says in fear and amazement, fear and amazement. Listen, they're more afraid of the calm than they were the storm. Like what is going on? Well, they haven't seen anything yet. Let's cross over to the other side. Verse 26, they sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee, this, I'm going to read the whole story, and then we'll come back. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus? I don't want to do a demon voice, so just, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly, This is interesting. Only Luke mentions this. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Okay, I'll pause there, uh, and because that's the basis uh, of the story. So here we come upon this guy. They cross over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gadarenes here, or Gerasenes, and they come across a demon-possessed man. Now, uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, uh, he says that there were two demon-possessed guys. Mark and Luke each say that there was one. Some people look at that and say, well, there's a discrepancy in the Bible. No, here's what's going on. There were two. When you take the sum total of Scripture, there were two. But there was one main spokesman. There was one main demoniac who did all the dialoguing here. And that's what Mark and Luke focus on. Luke says, here was this guy who's demon-possessed. He was naked, not wearing any clothes. Uh, he had superhuman strength because it was really uh, part of the demonic empowering here of the possession. So he, he would try to be chained, but he would break the chains. Uh, he was forced by the demons to live. Can you imagine this? In a very dark and, and, and uh, kind of, you know, when we think about graveyards, you know, who, wa- who wants to live in a graveyard, right? You know, you whistle past the graveyard. You don't, you don't want to stop and hang out in a graveyard. But he's living there because this is a scene of death and demons, and the demons are pushing this guy into living among the tombs. 
Uh, and, you know, just, I just kind of picture this very disheveled guy, probably hasn't bathed in the longest time, you know, a deep guttural voice because of the demon, you know, probably very dirty looking, uh, very unkempt. And, and so, you know, here he is, here's the scene. But in the midst of this, don't lose sight of the fact this is somebody's son or husband or brother. This is a real person who has been possessed by how many demons here? And, and he is, he's completely out of, out of his mind, and, he's, and, his, and his faculties and his abilities have been completely overtaken by demons that have literally possessed his spirit. And Jesus is on this divine appointment to set this guy free. Can you imagine being this man's family, and you haven't seen him in his right mind for years? And in a moment, he's going to come home, there's going to be a knock on the door, and he's going to be in his right mind. And this is, this is the, a miraculous and marvelous deliverance here. As he you know, approaches Jesus. So they, they get out of the boat, they approach Jesus. You know, I'm still seeing the disciples dripping wet and hiding behind Jesus. What in the world is that guy? You know, and so they're probably not all, I, I, don't, I don't see them as being very brave here. I see them as probably kind of cowering behind Jesus. Maybe not. Maybe I'll have to apologize to them too. And Jesus says to the guy, what is your name? And, and he answers, and it's really the demon speaking plural, I suppose, here, because he says legion. Legion was a unit in the Roman army of 6,000 soldiers. Were there 6,000 demons in this guy? I don't know. You know, demons are liars, too, so you don't want to believe. You know, maybe there were two or three. Two or three are too many anyway. But, you know, they're, they're, but if there are two or three, they're lying because, you know, we're, we're 6,000. I don't know. Okay, they're liars anyway. But there, there are, when you look at the other Gospels, it talks about how there were about 2,000 pigs here, and all 2,000 rush off. Does that mean that all 2,000 were possessed, or they just kind of did, you know, copycat kind of a thing? Seriously, I, I read this story. This is, I digress a little bit, but it's somewhat related. I read this story about sheep that ran off a cliff in Turkey several years ago. 1,500 sheep ran off a cliff. Now, the reason they ran off the cliff is a little different from this story here. Just sheep, I don't know how to be politically correct. They're just dumb, all right? Sheep are dumb. And so what happened is when, and they, they follow the leader. One sheep went off and, and the others just, you know, the first one was just like, that's eh, not that bad, you know? And so, and so the one sheep just took off and all the 1,500 just went with the, with, with the one. Now, here's what's funny about this story. This is true story. Out of 1,500, only 450 died. Do you know why? Think about it, right? First 450, they die. The other, you know, 1,100 or so are bouncing on cotton. Bah! They was right. It was not that bad. Ah. But anyway, so back to the story. That's different because sheep are dumb. This story here, because pigs are possessed, all right? We have deviled ham going on here. It's a weird, you know, it's a weird thing that's going on. But this guy's going to be set free. Now, before we look at them going off the cliff, they beg Jesus, don't throw us into the abyss. Circle that word. It's the Greek word abusos. It literally translates bottomless pit. There are references in the New Testament, I'm going to give you some for you note takers, that, that refer to the abyss. Uh, the word abyss is mentioned nine times in the New Testament, once in the Gospel of Luke right here, and eight times in the book of Revelation, and, and nowhere else, although there are some references to the abyss, but not by the word, and I'm going to give them to you. Second Peter chapter 2, listen to what it says, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, 
Talking about the rebellion in heaven when Lucifer rebelled. Lucifer was one of the archangels of God and he rebelled. And with him also angels rebelled with him, some of them, many of them. And it says in 2 Peter 2, 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. It speaks about gloomy dungeons. Now, that's not all the angels who sinned. But some of the, apparently some of the worst of the worst of the demons are still under wraps, thankfully. Uh, Jude, verse 6, says this, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In Revelation chapter 9, it talks about there will be a a moment during the period of of the great tribulation when the abyss will be unlocked. And the worst of the worst of these demons will, will come out. And it says in Revelation 9, 11, they had a king over them. The angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. And both of those words translates destroyer, and it's a reference to Satan. And what it tells us is that Satan is the king of these demons, And that there will come a point when the abyss will be unlocked and these worst demons will be allowed to come out as part of the tribulation period. But then also Revelation 20 tells us in verse 1 to to verse 3, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So that speaks of a time when Satan will be bound, thrown into the abyss for a thousand years, After the thousand years, he will be allowed out again to deceive the nations one last time before a new heaven and a new earth. All of that to say this, these demons knew that there was a torturous place in the abyss where the worst of the demons were held. They begged Jesus, don't throw us there. Don't throw us there. And the Bible tells us that Satan himself will be cast there for a time, and then after he is allowed to be released... And then new heaven and new earth, then Satan will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever, along with the the false prophet and uh, the Antichrist. So these demons have an understanding. The abyss is a dark, gloomy dungeon within the pit of hell, some kind of a bottomless pit. They don't want to go there. They beg Jesus, please don't throw us there. And Jesus obliges. And he cast them into the herd of pigs who were there. And uh, the other gospels say about 2,000. They, possessed by these demons, uh, run off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee and they drown. The thing that's happening here is that Jesus is not only setting this man free, but he's also addressing a spiritual problem here. Because on the, western, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, the Jews living there were not holding to the, to the law because they shouldn't have had pigs. That's not kosher. And so until Jesus, and he will, Mark, Mark chapter 7 says that Jesus said what goes in a man isn't what makes him unclean. It's, it's the heart. And Mark, Mark's gospel chapter 7 says, by this Jesus declared all foods clean. So under grace, we can eat all foods. But thank God, 
because pork is great. It's delicious. But anyway, but at this time, the Jews had no business having pigs. It was against the, the, the law, the Mosaic law. And so Jesus decides, I'll, I'll, I will free this man, oblige the demons, and put an end to the livelihood of these Jews who were trying to live one foot in the church and one foot in the world. They were called Hellenistic Jews. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website, Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection.